0: To WIDE THE drive.
1: Oh yeah, are you ready to truck it? I'm Tuner here with Michael Vincent, the dude, and welcome to Monday.
2: Welcome, hey man! Beautiful spring day here in uh, the heart of Freight Alley, man. Just beautiful, sunny, warm, seventy-two degrees. It's gonna be gorgeous. What'd you do this weekend, there, uh, dinner
1: Well, it's you know I'm trying not to get overwhelmed because I'm just trying to be whelmed this week because uh, we had a we had a pack all weekend <laughs> where uh, we're signing. Well, we have three PL summit this week. We have our normal schedule of of what the trucks. Although I think we have like a double what the truck at three PL summit. I've got a newsletter to write. We've got Fridays what the truck, and between all that, I have to. Uh, close on my house and move in there on friday so there's a lot going on there's a lot going on it's nice weather and i'd love to be out in it but um a lot of the times just kind of (laughs) been dealing with those stress factors over the weekend you like moving wow 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 so you gotta
2: i I hate i hate moving and i've done it 14 times in my life four times since i've been married and i got one rule duner and it's saved me and it's When I move, if I find a box and I've never opened it since the last time I moved, I don't even open it. I don't guess. I just chuck it. It's gone. It's
1: a smart way to be. Smart way to be. Like one in, one out, too. That's a good way to do
2: things. (laughs) That's it. That's exactly. Otherwise, man, you just get need a bigger space for more stuff, and that's it. Hey, we
1: we, we talk about freight flows a lot on the show and the impacts that the pandemic has had, but I just saw something on LinkedIn right here, and it was talking about – digital and this isn't that surprising but digital tool use is skyrocketing globally as you can imagine this is from Microsoft Teams right so their teams index they shared some data on this weekly meeting times now for teams users has doubled and is still rising since the start of the pandemic no surprise so many of you have been stuck ourselves included in zoom meetings and teams meetings skype meetings however you're doing it although maybe not skype skype really skype really lost out on this thing didn't they michael vincent
2: yeah, I don't even hear about <laughs> Skype anymore. I, know. What I, don't, to Skype? I, I don't even talk about it. I, I, don't, I, I don't think I can spell it anymore, my friend.
1: Here's a big one. <laughs> Delivered emails increased by 40.6 billion compared to a year prior. Chat traffic amongst team users has risen by 45%. Obvious, right? I mean, we're on Slack way more than we used to be. And uh, office document usage is up 66% year over year. But I imagine that would be like digital documents, signs, and, and the like.
2: Yeah, I would think it is. Boy, some days it feels like half that $40.6 billion is in my inbox. Does not it sometimes?
1: <laughs> it does, man. I have a lot of blue checks in my inbox I don't even get to. Some people are like uh, obsessed adherents of inbox zero, and I do that as well, except I go in my inbox and I click select all, and then I hit just mark all as red. So I <laughs> can't get to all oh, of them. Yeah.
2: <laughs> so you're, you feel like you've accomplished something.
1: <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, we're going to accomplish something on today's show. We're gonna, we are going to be learning all about the third-party canine cargo program. It's coming up in the beginning of July and how training works for canines. So we'll get a little inside look at canine cargo security today. Excited about that. You know we love dogs on this show. We're going to be talking about using data to tell the story of freight, something we have heard a lot of brokers talking about. They have shippers that are upset with the market. Well, one of the best ways to explain the market to them is through the data of what is actually happening in devices like we have or software like we have Sonar, right? We'll also be talking about how one booking platform is offsetting 100% 100% of CO2 emissions. This is, uh, this is really cool. We're going to break the first rule of, fa- of uh, f- what is it, Freight Club by talking about Freight Club today. Plus, who holds the pricing power? We'll get into uh, this railroad mega merger and a bunch of other stuff. But before we get there, let's tip the band. This episode is brought to you by Legend Transportation, which has been establishing partnerships throughout extending customer service since 2007. To learn more, go to newlegendinc.com. All right, railroad mega merger. This one came out over the weekend, right? And it could be a big boon for shippers. Let's see what's inside this. Jonah Marsh she reports that Canadian Pacific's proposed acquisition of Kansas City Southern will result in new service lanes across North America. The heads of both companies asserted in a Sunday afternoon call to investors, explaining. The proposed transaction against Sunday, interesting day for all this to go down. Both companies announced Sunday morning that CP would seek to acquire KCS in a deal worth, get this, $29 billion pending approval from the Surface Transportation Board. The U.S. agency could finish its review process by mid-2022.
2: Yeah, $29 billion, Duner. The merger would uh, connect customers with six of the seven largest metropolitan regions in North America, potentially reduce transit times, and provide new products offerings, such as possible new intermodal services between Dallas and Chicago, executives said. The merger would also enable North uh, and South customers to avoid the congestion-prone Chicago VSCP's network in Iowa. The proposed merger comes against the backdrop of two macroeconomic factors. The passage of the USMCA or NAFTA, the, the new NAFTA, and yeah. manufacturers growing appetite for nearshoring in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic.
1: Yeah, meanwhile, though, the initial shipper reaction to this, and whenever you have a big merger like this, right, it could take, it takes a lot of optionality out there, potentially, or at least half your optionality. Uh, the reaction has been wait and see. NIT League president Jennifer Hedrick, this is a statement from her. She says, it's too early to take a position on the favorability of this merger to the, to the rail shipping community. While the NIT League and our members have outstanding relationships with both Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern and are optimistic about this new venture, any merger in this industry and on this scale will be viewed with healthy skepticism based on prior history and experience of rail mergers. Our members look forward to hearing more from both Canadian Pacific and Kansas City Southern on more specific details on how the combined operation will affect service and competition, which remains a priority to... The NIT League. Do you think those concerns are founded?
2: I you, you know, I, I think there are some concerns that are founded. I think there's some positives that are there. And like we see in our chat channels and our experts going back and forth and talking about the effects and will this get to prove, won't it? I think time will just tell, right? Is is where this is and what kind of arguments they can make. It it sounds like a pretty decent deal to me.
1: Hey, let's shout out to Joe Frederick here. He's in the comments. He says, Great stuff, gents. I'm a transition naval officer. Looking to break into the industry. So if you're listening, reach out to Joe Friendrick here on LinkedIn. He is looking to transition from that uh, military career over into logistics and supply chain. If you've listened to our show recently, we had a few different speakers talking about how this would be a great career path. Check that out. Bob Boosie's here, and so is Chris Jolly. Thanks for joining us, guys. This week, DHL Supply Chain Pricing Power Index, how is it going? Well, right now it's at a 75 in favor of the carriers. It's a five-point drop from last week, which was at an 80. The long-term outlook is a 70, still elevated. If you're not familiar, the DHL Supply Chain Pricing Power Index takes several indices from within Sonar and crunches the power of the market, 100 being fully in favor of the carriers, zero being fully in favor of the shippers.
2: Yeah, it absolutely does. So tender volumes are coming down a bit, Dooner, but they're off an unnaturally high base that the winter storms really elevated there and strained the freight markets uh, upside down. The Texas deal that went down there, the freeze and everything did not help things. Our freight intel group believes the inability to source capacity at the beginning of March led retailers to really accelerate their Q1 order schedule. So coming out of the winter storms, as I just mentioned, shippers brought forward delivery schedules and caused an unnaturally large surge in tender. Volumes. Uh, It's an artificial high base from which the market is declining. And if we look at the tender volume trend prior to the storm, volumes were at an extremely high level, but we're sliding a bit. At the same time, tender rejections were declining as as well. It's a very tight market out there. Little things make it fluctuate tremendously.
1: Yeah, they were declining, but the carriers continue to reject freight at a very high level. I mean, we're talking about a decline from twenty six point five percent last week to twenty six point two percent. So. Not huge, right? But as we've talked about before, this is imbalance between markets. So what's good for some may not be good for the other. We're seeing volatility in major markets last week that was going in both directions. Southern markets like Houston and Atlanta have seen a surge in tender rejections over the past 10 days. Well, in the northeastern freight hubs like Harrisburg, they've actually seen significant declines, Michael Vincent. The national dry van spot rate average fell slightly for a second straight week, it's down to 324 a mile, inclusive of fuel. Spot rates peaked two weeks ago at 332 a mile. In the aftermath of those winter storms, we'll have this week's spot rates in the What the Truck newsletter, which you can subscribe to by going to slash WTT. That'll be out tomorrow evening at 6 p.m. Eastern Time. Where do you think the spot rates are going to land this week?
2: So looking at the trends last week, you got volumes coming down a little bit. They were elevated, coming down, elevated by the storm. That's kind of eased itself. Oh, oh uh, The tender rejections were dropping last week fairly decently until the very end of the week and, and then surged up. I think we're looking at somewhere around 314, 312. I mean, you know, all the way down to three 312. That's uh, – still quite high, but yeah, I think there's still a a slight retraction in rates this week.
1: Well, we'll see if you're right tomorrow morning when I bug you for that chart in Slack. (laughs) Well, I
2: produced a chart, my friend, I can make myself right or wrong.
1: (laughs) Well, here we go. What will redistribution of imports mean for surface transportation though? This is what Zach Strickland's chart of the week. It's on freightwaves.com. I implore you to go look at that, but what he was looking in that is import volumes. They continue to climb. They're creating bottlenecks at major U S ports. We've talked about the West coast port crisis Ad nauseum, it it dipped down a little bit in the middle of the week. Then we were right back at 24, 25, 26 boats at anchor. When we look at the inbound ocean shipments index, though, in sonar, that measures freight booking activity for shipments entering the U.S. at the port level based on estimated departure dates. The Port of Oakland has been outpacing many of the nation's largest ports in terms of shipment growth since the end of September it makes so much sense. If you were through the last port crisis, you remember that a lot of the freight that was going into LA Long Beach was moved right up to Oakland and then up to Vancouver from there and SeaTac as well. Port Houston also recently saw a huge spike in bookings in the middle of March. What will, uh, what will this do though to already strained surface providers, Michael Vincent, who are not optimized already for, these, for, for this type of change in network?
2: Yeah. So, uh, you know, as Zach reports, and we've talked about this, uh, before when you're talking about the different, um, you know, the tariff wars or the trade wars, et cetera, it kind of changed the way things were routing as well. This is completely different, but still the same effect. The largest lanes for maritime imports originating in China and, and in the North America West uh, Coast, predominantly the ports of Los Angeles, Long Beach, as you said. But, you know, Southern California parts, they handled over 40 percent of the shipments entering the U.S. And according to this week's charge, the bookings, they moved. This is going to put undue pressure on different uh, infrastructures that aren't ready for this type of volume. We're not set up that way. It changes everything inbound uh, or... The surface transportation in the United States when these start to change things that aren't ready for this because of this flow and this
3: backlog.
1: Yeah, and you could see that happen across both drayage uh, or or across drayage, rail, and truckload. It's the kind of story you need to tell to shippers, especially in a fluid market like this. You have to show them with some data where their freight is, why it is, why it's costing this much, or else you're going to have some upset customers. You may still have some upset customers, but there's one gentleman we're going to have on now who does a great job of telling the narrative of freight through data using sonar it's Greg Morrow he's the director of operations at ARL Transport hey Greg thanks for joining us today hey guys thanks for having me on yeah man I, I love what you do with uh with with the teams teaching them through sonar it's a uh, it's a great time. It's one of the comments that we see often in the, the comment section during our live shows, when we're doing market breakdowns. They're going, you know, we're, we have strained relationships right now. Nobody understands why their rates are going up where they are. Um, before we dive into the market and how you tell that story, though, introduce yourself in ARL Logistics. As I understand it, you're trying to build that big Pittsburgh scene out.
3: Sure. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, we definitely think that this is a uh, transportation hub here as well in Pittsburgh um, and, you know, ARL, we've been here for you know over 40 years uh, based out of the Pittsburgh area. Uh, we have a, a transport division that is a, an agent network, uh, very heavy in the uh, the drage market. So we're in and out of ports um, and, and rail yards all day long. So we, we get to see that side of it as well. Uh, but then we also do have our logistics side. So we, we do have an in-house logistics group. And then we also have an agent network out there um, uh, across the country as well.
2: It's excellent stuff. I'm from that neck of the woods. I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, my friend. So very good to talk to a, uh, a, a, a fellow uh, Rust Belt or a former Rust Belt, actually. I mean, that's an old moniker. It should be thrown away. It's actually a beautiful area, and I love Pittsburgh. But I um, went to school just north of there a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about ARL logistics and let's talk about data. The data-driven logistics right now, making those decisions is obviously incredibly important. It's really been important forever. We just have much more data to use right now. How are you usually using data? and specifically using, I guess, Sonar for your frontline workers there to make them more productive?
3: Yeah, so we use it in a couple different ways. Um, and, and we really trust in the information that we're getting. So we get the information to our frontline workers daily to, to make educated decisions. So them understanding how the market is playing out, what markets are up, what markets are down um, is extremely valuable for them uh, You you're working in the day to day. But more importantly, we like to educate our customers on it. So we are getting, we're getting emails out to them on a weekly basis, um, updating them kind of high level on what's happening inside the market, um, what they can expect to see. Um, but then we also are going a little bit deeper with that and we're able to kind of build out portfolios for them and show them in their specific markets uh, what's happening? Is the market up? Is the market down? You know whether it's flatbed, uh, drive-in, or reefer. How the market is reacting to, um, you know, whether it's the winter storms or the, the port congestion. We can really kind of paint that 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 picture for them as to why they're seeing what they're seeing. So if rates for them are up twenty, thirty percent, we're we're able to explain why they're why they're seeing that change.
1: Right before you came on, we were talking about the network imbalances, and you're seeing. Uh, different rejections at different levels across the country because of you know, conditions beyond, beyond our control. Um, is it becoming more challenging to have these conversations with your customers, or is the data aiding in that? And what are the pain points right now that those customers are facing?
3: Well, I, I think the customers are just a bit frustrated that they keep hearing the same thing. Rates are up and, and that's where they are and they're kind of here to stay. Um, but this definitely makes it a little bit easier. You, you know, we're not taking the standard approach. Our rates are up, so they're up. Just you have to deal with it. We are helping lay out that data for them to show them why it's up. So it makes it a little bit easier. And at the same token, we're also trying to give them information before it happens. So if we're watching tender volumes increasing, we know that we're probably going to see our, re- or our rejection rates also increase shortly after. Um, but they're going to have a couple days notice rather than they're, they're going to be they're going to be proactive rather than reacting to the market after the fact and, and, you know, sitting there scratching their heads wondering what the heck just happened over the past couple of days.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting. And I I like the fact that you went there towards the uh, kind of predictive nature and what's going on. If you see the tender volumes uh, going up or the outbound tender rejections starting to go up, you know that things are being indicated. In my sonar, uh, I'm from that area, but I also love the dynamics of the markets that that you're in, right? They're not isolated at all. I've got an I-80 and I-70, well, an I-80 and I-90 and like a Great Lakes and this corridor is built in different market areas because you can see what's going on there. The domino effects of what goes on. The Columbus, Ohio market affecting the the Pittsburgh market. Do you share that data with your with your with your customers in those different markets? And are they starting to accept that type of thing where even though it's not in their market, it's going to affect their their freight and they can they can prevent, uh, you know, they can overcome some of those hurdles with some preventative uh,
3: uh, planning. Yeah, we we always try to take not only their core markets but surrounding markets because we know that that is going to affect what's happening primarily where they're located. It's it doesn't always matter where their manufacturing plan is or where their shipping or uh, receiving point is, but what's happening surrounding that. Um, you know, trucks are going to deadhead for the for the best rate. Um, you know, shippers are going to be they're going to be forced to pay higher rates if the market's congested. So. We're always trying to not only show them what's happening right there locally where that plant is, but how the surrounding market's going to affect that. Uh, and and it's, definitely, it's definitely helpful for them to be able to see that and know that, okay, it, it doesn't matter what's happening you know, maybe right here in Pittsburgh, but what's going on in the Cleveland market or what's happening over in Columbus is, is going to affect exactly how I'm going to have to um, play out my transportation needs.
1: A lot, of customers, a lot of companies that we've talked to on here, or people from companies we've talked to on here, have spoken to some of the pivots that they've done to get through the challenges of COVID and the strained freight market. What has ARL done? What has been some of the more significant changes you have had to make to address the market?
3: Well, we had to get a lot deeper with our care relationships. Um, you know, that's definitely something that a, a lot of brokers just historically have not done. Um, so, you know, we we really put a focus on that and how do we build out those care relationships. But you know, we, we kind of stuck to to what we know and that and that's customer service. You, you know, we're not we're not going to drop the ball on the customer. We want to make sure that they understand what's going on in the market. Um, luckily, we're in a position nowadays where it's a much more transparent industry. And, you know, we like to foster that and, and really push that along. We, we think it's valuable for everybody involved. So, you know, we did stick to a lot of our bases, but we got a lot more transparent with our customers. We want them to, to see exactly what we're seeing and, and understand the challenges that we have um, to, to make sure that we're all kind of fighting that same battle together uh, and working together towards that common goal. So, uh, where
2: do you see the market going going forward? You know, we we're starting to see uh, the the stimulus check coming out now, and we've got the reopening of some of the the markets, et cetera. Where is spending going to go? That type of stuff. What what is your uh, your finger in the air telling you?
3: Great question. Um, <laughs> you know, as you had said before, the 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 uh, foreign ports are still busy. They're still pushing product over to the states. So, I, I think that we're definitely still going to see some poor congestion. It might shift a little bit out to Ah, uh, Jersey and New York. So we'll see. You know what happens there along the coast, and see if any of that capacity has to shift across the country. Um, but it is going to come down to consumer spending. I, I think there's a lot of consumers out there that are just ready to be out and spend money on entertainment and travel and vacations, uh, which is going to take some of that spending away from the consumer product and, and the hard goods. So we're going to see a little bit of a softening of demand, in my opinion. Uh, but the the big issue is really going to be capacity. So you know, we might see softening demand over the next couple months, but capacity isn't really there to support it still, even if we see that softening. So I, I do think that rates are still going to stay slightly elevated, um, depending on, and that's really going to be dependent on how quickly drivers can get into, into trucks and, and when they can get back on the road and we can start to fulfill the capacity needs again. Beautiful. Well, hey, Greg, how do people reach out and learn more? Yeah, definitely reach out to me on LinkedIn. All my contact information is there. Um, or you can always drop me a line, shoot me an email, uh, always available.
1: Thanks again. Thank you for your time today. We appreciate you putting some context to the market.
3: Sure. Thanks, guys. Have a good day. Take
1: it easy. Hey, Michael Vincent, now we're going to learn a little bit about how you train canines for cargo screening, what's going on with this new initiative to have 100% of cargo screened, how that's all going to work. That sounds like it could get messy. Good thing we have Daniel McAfee here. He's Senior Dynamic Canine Instructor at Global Canine protection group and i think i also hear one of his dogs behind him
4: uh yes sir uh, how are you doing today what's happening oh uh, not much we are out here in atlanta and we're actually doing a little bit of training uh, we uh we we'll probably talk a little bit of uh similarities on detection work as far as the uh dogs that search cargo. And we're also doing some stuff about searching COVID for COVID detection too. COVID uh, the virus.
1: Oh, nice, man. We have, we've heard about the COVID detection. There's actually a, uh, there's a group out of Germany who is saying that they are having much better results with the dogs, even though it's not FDA approved. Cause I know the Miami heat started using them. American airlines arena started using the dogs, but we heard that place in Germany. That was like, yeah, these dogs were like 95% effective. They're beating all of the tests who is the dog that's with you today and what kind of lessons will they be learning?
4: Uh, so the dogs that are with us today are COVID detection dogs. Uh, we are we're out here uh, searching COVID positive people for, for training so, that, uh, so they can associate the COVID training aid with a COVID positive person. That's the main thing that we're doing right now.
2: Yeah that's interesting you would have to find people who are positive and people who are negative in order to train these dogs on what it's like to do so if you're out there training these dogs is there is there a growing demand for this for the dogs specifically for this uh then is this becoming more and more widely accepted as a as a detection for covid
4: uh yes it is they're trying to compare the canines to a rapid test which like you said the guys in germany they have proved that the canine is a lot more effective and more accurate than the rapid test that we're using right now. So you wouldn't actually have to go to a clinic. You have a dog that's mobile and you can, you can be searched wherever you're at. If the, if the place where you're going has a COVID canine.
1: Wow. And you know, this sounds like a pretty big deal in terms of cargo screening. One thing's you, one thing you train them on is the new international security standards that are going into effect requiring countries to implement, programs for 100% cargo screening. We talk about truck capacity all the time. How is dog capacity doing right now and trained dog capacity to meet the needs of of this new um this new legislation?
4: Well, it's it's been in the beginning it was it was pretty pretty tough to find the the correct dogs that could do it. They have to be very environmentally sound and have to be able to be around loud noises and banging and stuff like that and they have to be Super motivated to, for reward, so that their searchability is is not affected in those environments. So we we've basically catered to the cargo world now instead of a regular detection uh, aspect. So the dogs are specifically trained for cargo environments now. So we we throw them in the mix with loud noises like uh forklifts and just loud banging noises that you can imagine that is in a warehouse so that's why it is it's very needed for the dog to be environmentally sound so you don't want it to uh, react to those sounds and 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 not not keep searching
2: yeah, absolutely. My I'll tell you what, dude, the dogs that the custom agents brought into my uh, container freight stations, they weren't deterred by anything going around, boy. They were they were all business and they and they got it done. So, but but talking about the you know the 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 dogs and the COVID being better than the um, than the rapid test, the swab and and so on, are there machines that do this this the sniff tests, et cetera, looking for drugs and that type of stuff in cargo? And how do the dogs outperform those machines?
4: Uh in in the cargo. So yeah. what happens in cargo, the uh, you basically would have to run each box or piece of freight through an x-ray machine. So so what a canine gives you the advantage on is time, which time is money in, in the cargo world. So we we've proven that the dogs are are very accurate in the aspect of searching for explosives in cargo. So instead of one person or three or four people breaking down a whole pallet, and then running it through a X-ray machine, and then having to rebuild the pallet. Which that whole sequence probably takes 45 minutes on one pallet. That's if you're working fast and you've got a few people helping you. The uh, the canines can go around the pallet and eliminate that pallet for explosives within five to six seconds. So. You think about how much more you can move through a warehouse, and and you can up your 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 shipping game with with the cargo screening.
1: What does training look like for the dogs? Is there a sweet spot in age? Um, can you not teach an old dog new tricks? Do they need to be Do they need to be puppies? How does that work?
4: So there's. Uh, there's really not an age limit. I like a dog that is, is going to be mature. You know, you see a lot of dogs that mature at different ages, just like children. They uh, they become adolescents and they become teenagers and there's less distractions. There's more focus on, on what you want at a probably around a year to a little bit over a year in most canines. So that's what we like to start with. That way you get a longer uh, search long like a longevity of their search career that way there's you're getting your money's worth basically
1: is there such a thing as a so, bad dog or only a bad trainer like are there some dogs that you you have to expel them from the program they just they just can't make it through
4: so the the reasons we would basically kick a dog out of a program is he's either environmentally unsound or he lacks motivation for a reward one thing i always try to preach with, with all of my trainers is if the dog is motivated for a reward, then you should be able to train it. I know that's not the case, like 100%, but you, uh, you, you have to realize what you're portraying to the dog and what you want it to do in training all comes from you all comes from the trainer. So if the dog's motivated for reward, you, you, you have to be able to figure out what or what way the dog learns basically. Mm -hmm.
2: So let me ask you this: So you know, obviously, you're a certified trainer and, and so on. You're handling these dogs. So once you're training these, and they go into field, they go into service. What level does the person who's handling this dog uh, to perform the actual, you know, scanning of the of the freight have to be? Are these dogs outsourced to em- em- employees of of the airport or the cargo company that is doing this, or does your services need to go in there and have a, a certified trainer such as yourself, a handler, with that dog?
4: We, we do have a little bit of both in the industry. There might be an individual that has their own dog and then they can go through and go through a class, but our main way of deploying a, a cove or a cargo canine is they go through an eight week extensive course where they learn all the different aspects of handling the dog, reading the dog's change of behavior, uh, Then they have to understand all of their search environments, such as ULDs and cargo boxes and how to efficiently search each one of these. And then they have to go through a three-day evaluation after the eight weeks and have to be able to pass that course. So it's pretty rigorous as far as being trained and understanding how to work in the environment.
1: Why are German Shepherds the face of this? Are they the best breed to be trained, or th- how exactly does that work? Like, I was in Costa Rica, and they had mostly labs over in Costa Rica that were sniffing people in the airport. But is one breed better than the other, and why German Shepherds, at least in America, typically the the face of the canine?
4: So so the reason you see a lot of Shepherds is they're readily available, and their genetic makeup, if you if you will, is they are – of a herding breed so when you talk about motivation for reward it's all about their prey drive so when you, you think about something moving something like a ball rolling across the floor their their prey drive is really natural to them so that's why it's it's easier to find a lot of shepherds uh, Labradors are basically the same way one thing when you use a Labrador, they're probably more people friendly looking as far as they're, they're sweet looking. Everybody's like, Oh, that dog's not going to bite me if you see a Labrador and shepherds, (laughs) you look at them and you're like, uh, I don't know about that one. He's got pointy ears. He might be mean. So you're looking, you said the dogs that were sniffing you in Costa Rica were Labradors. Well, that's a lot of, because of the, basically the, the fan experience and the perception of a friendly looking dog. If you're being searched by a person, I'd rather be a labrador. I know that's me. <laughs> Instead of a shepherd walking straight up to you and putting his teeth right there close to you or his nose.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you kind of seem like stormtroopers or something if like a bunch of just german shepherds are just like roaming around the uh When you're just trying to relax and get on a flight, you might not. People might start just freaking out. You're talking Uh, about environmental awareness. You know, people have to have their own environmental awareness too, if you want this to. um, That's right. If you want this to work. Well, before we let you go, uh, have they ever? Is there any big bust you've been responsible for, or one of your dogs have been responsible
4: before? For. Uh, I would say there's been some some finds in the explosive world as far as firearms uh you know every dog's trained on every explosive detection dog is trained on some type of uh smokeless powder or something like that that's in ammunition uh so there's there's definitely been some finds where the dog has found stuff that smells like smokeless powder
1: well beautiful hey if people uh, if there's some air cargo people listening they know this initiative is coming up they need to get some dogs trained where should we send them to
4: uh so if you can go to Global K9 and they have a website or we have a website and it's Global K9 Solutions or Global K9 Protection Group. We're also on LinkedIn.
1: Beautiful. Hey, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it.
4: Yes, sir. Thank you very much.
1: Take it easy. Good luck to you and the dogs, man. All right, again, we'd like to thank our friends at Legend Transportation for sponsoring today's episode. Legend partners with strategic customers while providing seamless solutions for its drivers and is West Regional's premier freight transportation company. Learn more at newlegendinc.com. And right now we're going to welcome Chris Randall, Vice President of Revenue at Freight Club, and we are going to break the first rule of Freight Club. We are going to talk about Freight Club. Hello, Chris. Thanks for joining us on the show.
5: Thanks for having me, guys.
1: Do you get that joke all the time? The fight club joke?
5: To be honest with you, it was the, uh, when I first joined this company, um, I, I, I the, that was our marketing strategy. It seemed was the, uh, the first the first rule of Freight Club marketing was to never talk about Freight Club. So it was a great challenge to actually find us. Uh, so that was my internal joke, which the marketing team doesn't love anymore. <laughs> oh, okay. Well uh, <laughs> that's well, pretty good.
1: <laughs> well, here's to here, let's 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 make amends with the marketing team right now. Who is Freight Club? I'm sure they'll be happy when you answer that one.
5: Yeah, so so Freight Club is uh, aiming to kind of simplify the world of shipping for e-commerce retailers. So we are a software platform. We're looking to provide an end-to-end solution for organizations who are trying to do direct to consumer shipping uh, and really looking to do everything from rating and booking uh, as well as bringing a full network of LTL and parcel carriers to them uh, and and following through to the end customer experience of delivery, insurance, claims, customer service, tracking, all of that. So trying to provide that Expedia-like experience in terms of carrier selection uh, and pricing and bringing some of those volume discounts in and then all, also taking it all the way through to uh, providing some of the, the ancillary services around insurance claims, uh, customer service and kind of taking that off of the, uh, off of the carriers uh, as well. Yeah, you know,
2: Chris, going through your your website, what I what I what I know about Freight Club is a lot of really good services that are there. But one thing that that's really interesting that I like to talk about is is carbon offsetting and what you guys are are doing there. How is how is uh, Freight Club uh, helping this cause of offsetting carbon footprint?
5: Yeah, good question. So you know, I, I think we are not blind to the. Industry that we're in, we're also not blind to the um, just how valuable the freight and uh, industry is, and so what we wanted to do was was really do the effectively do the right thing and, and look to try to offset every single shipment we enable. Uh, so that was our vision. Uh, we put this vision in place. Um, I, I started it last June, July. I kind of kept it secret because I wasn't quite sure how much it was going to cost to actually try to pull something like this off, and I did not want the carrier or the client to pay a cent. And so what we're able to do now and, and after we've gone through the process of uh, kind of understanding the impact of uh, the trucks, whether it be parcel trucks or LTL trucks uh, and understand the impact we're having, also look at the other side of the equation and understand uh, what we can use to offset. Uh, we kind of put the, put the math together and, and as of January 1st, we're now officially offsetting every single shipment. Uh, that we enable. Uh, and it's it's been a fantastic program so far. I know the clients are quite excited about it. The carriers that we work with are extremely excited about it. Uh, and in this case, we're using trees as a way to, uh, to offset that. Uh, I think uh, being in the Pacific Northwest, I think we're kind of blessed with the uh, the trees that are out there, I know I used to travel a lot to uh, other places. And as I would come home, I would actually kind of notice just how how much fresher the air is here with, with the mountains and the trees and the ocean. And uh, we kind of wanted to use that as a method to to do the offset. Um, one of the other things, we're, we're offsetting in areas where we drive. So we're driving in the lower 48 states. And uh, all of our tree planting that we're doing is in the United States at the moment and um, starting in the areas that are impacted by the California wildfires.
1: And offsetting works, right? So, you know, there's a lot of talk about EVs, going zero emission, all of that stuff. But most people don't have that equipment yet. Most carriers don't have that equipment yet. So offsetting is a way to, as you mentioned, go, go plant a tree or find some way of, just as it sounds, offset the carbon that the regular equipment would be putting out. Is that an accurate description?
5: Yeah, I mean, the long term vision of kind of reducing is obviously, uh, you know, the way we want to go in the long term. But for where we are today, there's there's no magic CO2 vacuum out there. So we're trying to find ways of of offsetting that. Uh, In this case, the tree is kind of nature's superhero in a way in that it actually absorbs the CO2 and it spits back out oxygen. And so we felt it was not only an effective means of trying to do the offset, but also a way to provide kind of a symbol for our clients and our, and our partners to just appreciate just how many trees they're planting because the number is, is massive already and we're only two months into the program.
2: That is really great news it's something that that i uh, I support as well as you know betterment for the environment and carbon offsetting and many different things recycling, et cetera. Why was it so and, and many people do support these things and and will spend extra that, that extra money to make sure this happens. Why was it so important to you to make sure that this was cost neutral to your to your clients?
5: Uh, Honestly, I think as you go through the airline experiences, uh, the airline experiences offer you the ability to offset when you buy a flight. Uh, Some of them do it uh, upfront, some of them you kind of have to find it if you really want to do it. But because the cost is all on the end consumer, the percentage of customers that actually do that is really small, uh, which is unfortunate. So the airlines are doing a good thing in that they're making it available and they're transferring the money, uh, but they're not actually putting all that much skin in the game. Uh, and I think mm-hmm. from our perspective, we wanted to meet that vision of offsetting every shipment. And we knew we wouldn't be able to do it if we uh, forced that extra cost on the consumer. Because in the in the world of e-commerce um, and just retail in general, I, I think the margins are, are relatively tight. The carriers are working hard uh, and they don't have a lot of extra margin to play with either. And so we wanted to try to find a way to make sure that it was, uh, it was not going to be something that was going to cost them because we wanted to hit 100%.
1: Is this something that your customer base reached out to you for? And if so, sort of what percentage were interested in this and what has the reception been like since this program has been running this year?
5: Yeah, we didn't hear a, a lot. It was definitely something we, we we know that a lot of companies want to go down this path. So we've seen some of the research out there in terms of, uh, of, of companies trying to figure out how to do this. Um, the, the response has been phenomenal since we've rolled it out, to be honest. Uh, we've had clients reach out how they can put this on their website. Uh, we've got a, carbo, a carbon conscious shipper program that we're putting in place to help them promote what they're doing uh, because effectively on the labels, you get a, you get something that states that it's a carbon neutral or, or that the package has been carbon offset, um, but they want something that's actually on the website that they can promote to their clients. Uh, we've even got partners, very large partners who are uh, I'm in conversations with right now about allowing them to copy the program. Um, and that was one of the, the larger goals that we had long term was to almost push the com- competition, um, push our partners, push our clients to actually mimic something like this uh, and see if they would actually be able to um, uh, just to double up on the efforts. And we've, we've seen unbelievable response. I think the, the world trailblazer gets thrown around a little bit, uh, which is kind of cool to hear. We weren't thinking of that when we got out there, but it's definitely something that's that's new. Well, it certainly is. It certainly
2: is awesome. And I like the fact that you're not caught, co- you know, it doesn't cost anybody. And it's more than just an, an option because it, it, it's not just a marketing gimmick. It's you guys are living it and you're doing it. And I think that is absolutely tremendous. The, the one thing that uh, I'm really interested in is, is how do you calculate the carbon offsetting? How is that calculated?
5: yeah, we uh, keeping it simple, just without going into too much detail. I think the reality is we're looking at the the weight. So first, you're looking at the weight of the package. How much of the truck are we taking up? so if we're if we're shipping fifty items and they're gonna take up the entirety of a truck, um, obviously we don't need to pay for those miles 50 times uh, because they're all in the same truck. And so in that case, we're effectively looking at the weight of the package, how much of the truck it's taking up. We're looking at the distance it's going um, and we're using some calculations there. And we're looking at uh, the amount of CO2 that's output from uh, a common LTL style truck versus a parcel truck. And we're doing different calculations for each of those based on, on what we're doing. And we end up coming up with a, a number of shipments, uh, on average, that will um, require a single tree to be uh, used in offsetting it. And then on the flip side of that, we're we're looking at the impact of the tree. So how much CO2 does a a single tree absorb over a period of time? Uh, And then we're doing the math on both sides. And I think we really wanted to look at super credible sources government sources environmental agency sources uh you know we have the greenhouse gas protocol which is used by 90 percent of the fortune 500 uh, in calculating their emissions so we're really trying to use those types of sources as our foundation so that we've got a strong a strong base to to use our to do our math against
1: uh, this sounds like a wonderful program I'm, and i'm sure there are people listening who would like to get involved in, in what you're doing here if they want to get involved where do we send them to
5: yeah, I mean freightclub.com, obviously we're we're doing shipping for a lot of a lot of organizations out there right now and and bringing uh not just great rates, but obviously an environmentally friendly approach, and so yeah, freightclub.com is the place to go.
1: Thank you so much. We appreciate your time today and have a great week.
5: Thanks guys. Appreciate you having me on. Take it easy.
1: All right, next we're going to take a trip over to uh, Nicole Glenn. She's the owner over at Candor Expedite and she's a uh, a recent Guest co-host on Put That Coffee Down. Hey Nicole, what's up? Hi guys. Hi. What's how happening? you doing? Where are you right now?
0: I'm actually at my house oh, today.
1: Beautiful. Decided to, to just
0: work from home.
1: Hey, I gotta ask you something. So your bio states that the year you turned 32, I wanted to discover the why and how of everything in my in my world. So what was what catalyst happened in 32? Why what sudden coming of age moment happened to you?
0: Ooh, good question. Um, I started running a company for someone else, right? So I was doing a ton of stuff, transitioning from a sales rep. So this is one of, one of the things that I always talk about is being a sales rep. You go through this greedy phase, right? Where we're all trained to me, 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 me. How can I get more commission? How can I bring more revenue? And that transitioned that year. So now I was in charge of, I think, 35 or 40 people that I had to start really managing and leading. And so that's really the pivot on what I had to do at that time. And learning how to lead was uh, intimidating and fun, too, at the same time when I was 32. Yeah,
2: it's interesting. I've gone, I've gone uh, both routes myself, Nicole, like going from sales rep. To, to that management and from management to that sales rep. I think it's easier to go from sales rep to management than to go back to the me, 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 and I don't care about anything else, just drive profit type of thing is is a difficult thing to go to. But expedited market, let's talk about something difficult. Expedited market is a very difficult thing. In most people's eyes, it's the necessary evil that
0: they have to have from time to time. How has it been like in that expedite market for you? It's been crazy. So since really when COVID started, so now it's been about a year that things have just been going gangbusters, you know, where clients are looking for additional resources, capacity has just been so tight in different spots. And then we have our normal seasonality in transportation. And now it's just put this whole additional level of pressure on shippers to really meet their customers' demands, you know, whether that's a port getting locked up or air freight not being able to come in. It's really shaken a lot of different uh, verticals to its core and. So Expedite has really taken that next leap, you know, and trying to help clients meet their, their customers' needs.
1: Yeah, I mean, we're hearing, you know, throughout this pandemic, we've been hearing about things moved by air. You traditionally wouldn't hear about being moved by air like hot tubs and Pelotons and those kind of things. Has that changed your freight mix at all since there are so many delays and people are having to bring freight in with a completely different sense of urgency?
0: Not for us, not as of yet. We've still seen a lot of smaller packages uh, that are shipping. So we were doing a lot of COVID materials, whether that was respirators, um, I mean, you name it, we were were handling that. So I know it is out there that a lot of companies are starting to do a lot of heavyweight type of expedite. I've heard of people now chartering planes uh, and literally chartering the entire plane and then selling it off partially to hit... Some of these higher uh weights and commodities that are being shipped you know internationally yeah it 's crazy. The expedited
2: market and especially being a provider i've I've been in that that vertical as well in my past uh, it's interesting because there's a lot of people who don 't realize that they really should establish an expedited partner uh, before they need one if they 're in an industry where they don 't think that they need one because eventually you're going to have to have one, and uh, it's very difficult if you don 't know what you're what you're doing or have a strong strong
0: partner that's out there right. For sure. And I've been noticing, like we talk to a lot of new potential clients. And one of the things that we hear is that they'll take one to three skids or sometimes even up to five, 10, whatever it is. And they're utilizing a full tractor trailer for that. So they just go through the normal motion, you know, where it's like, all right, I'm going to call my normal truckload provider, ask them to supply a team when even with the last uh, gentleman that you had on, Chris Reducing that carbon footprint, you know, utilizing a piece of equipment that's tailored to your shipment, as well as reducing the cost is so beneficial. And it's just crazy how many companies are still utilizing that full tractor trailer for, for one to even three, three skids.
1: You're trying to make things easier for your partners. You recently launched an app called The Circle. What is it and what goes into developing a freight app?
0: Well, a lot goes into <laughs> developing a freight app. We're still working out some kinks with that. But uh, what this is, is to really get away from the concept of utilizing any sort of load board. You know, there's a lot of companies out there that claim relationship, relationship, but yet they're still throwing it out to their entire network. And so it should be rewarding the service providers that just go above and beyond, you know, and with Expedite, that's so critical to have people that meet all those expectations that you have. So this was a way to welcome our carriers to see our all of our business. Um, and it's featured based upon their region or whatever type of business that they're looking for to eliminate some of that extra communication. I mean, we all get a thousand emails a day. So this was more of a tailored approach to them, but also a way to elevate the carriers that should be in your one through, I don't know, 10 slot, So that way they can get more business and grow their network and see other opportunities if they want that are that are in our network. So that way they can grow. So we focused on the vendor side first, um, because in all reality, that's how you're able to move as a broker. You're able to give your customers that top notch service. It is part of our team's uh, experience to try to develop these carriers. But at the end of the day, it's that driver. It's that carrier that. That pushes a brokerage forward. And we wanted to start there first.
2: Very nice, very nice. So it's a way to promote those that are the best providers in there and be able to find those guys. And that's what you need in those things. So, you, you know, when we were going around to all the different uh, trade shows, et cetera, throughout the years and stuff, we produced, getting our swag, our pens and our hats and things like that, uh, what is the most interesting thing or piece of swag that Candor has made? Would it Ooh. be the Snuggy? Is it the Snuggy? We,
0: we had a Snuggy. We had a candor snuggie that went out. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> There's Taylor. She's a, she's our uh, marketing lead. That, so looks, she, like hair cutting. Oh that looks like a haircutting. That
1: looks
0: like a haircutting smock. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> so she uh, she was saying how cold she was. And I watched her put her jacket on backwards. And she's sitting at the desk. And in Texas, cold. Uh, so I'm like, hey, we still have one throwback candor snuggie that I brought out to her. And she was ec- ecstatic to have it.
1: Wow. What happened That's to the a Snuggie? They kind of fell off a cliff.
0: They did. Well, because they're <laughs> ugly. Look at that. It's terrible. <laughs>
1: uh, two years pe- people are- <laughs> Not a- in two years people are going to be on like Clubhouse. Like the the few remaining people on Clubhouse will be wearing uh Snuggies while they do it. Uh, have you have you ever bought anything from a, a late night infomercial? I could see you maybe uh making a few purchases that way.
0: Um uh, you remember when they had those CDs that were like throwback where they would do like the collaboration? Mm. where you would get some of the infomercials I could still sing, like which way it went, you know, like black velvet. And then you went into uh, a hollow notes. So I did buy one of those three disc compilations of all the eighties throwbacks.
1: Did
2: it live up? So like you knew the songs in order for that were on those for, because of the infomercials, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) me and one of my friends, we used to always talk about it. We were like, we would sing it in order but yeah, I, I did do that. And now Facebook is getting me, you know, when I see you scroll and I'm like, ooh, shoes. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That that, that's the
1: way it goes. Mm-hmm. Well, we'll let you get back to doing some e-commerce shopping. Maybe you'll use uh, Freight Club or something like that. But if people want some help with their expedited <laughs> services, they want to set up one of those networks. Maybe they want your last remaining Snuggie. Where should we send them to?
0: You should send them to candorexp.com.
1: Nicole? Thank you so much. Have a great Monday. I know you will.
0: Thanks guys. Have a good one.
1: Take it easy. All right, Michael Vincent. Now it's time for a little big deal. Little deal. Oh, all right. Yep. Now it's time. For- little deal. There yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> I need my own. Trigger. Now it's time. I need my own trigger pad. <laughs> I need my own trigger pad for these things. It's hard to read my mind. You know, it'd be cool. You know, what? I would would it be awesome. Michael Vincent, like, for doing, for doing live streams, you know Neuralink that Elon Musk wants to, to put out there? Yeah, 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 yeah. If I yeah. could, like, trigger yeah. sounds and switch camera angles with, like, my mind without having to, like, do anything or type, that would be pretty cool.
2: I, I think it'd be a very bizarre show until you'd <laughs> learn to control your mind. <laughs>
1: Especially as you start thinking about the wrong stuff, <laughs> the wrong stuff. Well, here's one for you. Supply chain woes halt more automakers because of these, uh, these semiconductor chips. Is it a big deal or a little deal?
2: Um I think it's a big deal. We've got a number of them shut down, right? Like I think Honda's like five different plants that they're shutting down across the United States and limited uh limited uh, um uh, crews and other ones are limited limited shifts and production lines in some of those. You got the same thing with Toyota shutting down Tacoma and and some others. Uh it, it's a big deal uh not only just for that because of the uh, uh, the uh, the chips, right? But it's a bigger deal because a lot of this is not 100% just because of COVID-19, right? A lot of this was due to uh, unintended consequences of uh, different government actions and policies before, like uh, tariffs, trade wars, uh, incentives, and that type of stuff, and offshoring production, et cetera. So it's just another glaring example of the things that get exposed when you start to have this just-in-time type of mentality that is so tweaked and so perfect and limited in its scope as far as uh, suppliers or origins, it could become a big deal.
1: Yeah, you know, the one thing that Noi wrote there – wrote in his article though is that so far the disruptions to automotive supply chains have not significantly disrupted key freight markets such as laredo texas where many car parts and uh suppliers ship their products but the bad news is some plants are closing and we've also heard you know production being being limited on things like the ford f-150 so it may not have disruptions on products that are moving but um on cancellations things like that it absolutely is having an impact
2: it absolutely does, and the potential is is not. It's a big deal because it it just it just displays and and really highlights what we need to really be looking at in our in our supply chain and what's going on. Here's another one. Here's one for you. Big deal or little deal, uh, Dooner. U- UPS pilots are detained and other pilots in Hong Kong while waiting COVID test results. Uh, so when they fly in, they've got to get tested, right? And they can't take the break. Big deal or little deal.
1: Uh, well, so the, the, the issue here, it seems to be not necessarily that they're detaining pilots for testing, but what they said in this article from Eric Coolish, the reporting was that the U.S. Department of Transportation earlier this week, they retaliated against Hong Kong's aggressive quarantine measures for pilots that are impacting cargo flights by FedEx Express because they gave a pass to their local carrier, Cathay Pacific. Now, You know, you might look at Hong Kong and go, well, they're beyond rebuke. They've done a much better job containing COVID than we have. But herein lies the argument. The argument is that they are weaponizing these COVID tests to give themselves an unfair advantage in the air freight market. And if that's true and if that's the case, that is a pretty big deal because, A, you're not operating honestly. And and B, especially in this crucial inflection point in in COVID where you need to get people tested and all of those kind of things, you're creating even more murkiness, right?
2: Yeah, you cert- you certainly are because people aren't trusting of it and such and, and in that report you can see that there's some people waiting an hour, others two hours to get their test results back, et cetera. They can't get the right, the right, the right rest. And weaponizing this, like you said, for an unfair advantage is just the wrong thing to be doing.
1: According according to the Taiwan News, a Taiwanese man was horrified to learn that his new name, Salmon Dream, is permanent. Is that a big deal or a little deal? <laughs> <laughs>
2: I was waiting for that to come out cuz you know the guy applied for Salmon dude but I already had that one. <laughs> so they just took Dream and gave it to him. <laughs> uh you know I, I I it's a little deal obviously. I mean it might be a big deal to him but to me it's a ridiculous deal that these guy people are. So he changed his name because of was it it was a sushi uh, promotion, wasn't it? If you change your name and, and had something to do with salmon in it then you got like free sushi for like two days or something is what it was. And now that he has changed his names more than a a number of times, it's stuck because you can only do it so many times. How many times has this guy changed his name in order to get free deals? I don't understand that this is a thing. Yeah, apparently,
1: apparently there's a chain there called Sushiro. They have 20 branches in Taiwan on Monday. They announced on their Facebook group that if you had the name Salmon in your surname, you would through March 17th and 18th, you could go and you could have, Free sushi, and you can bring up to six people with you. So this guy named Chang, he goes out and he, he, he changes his name to Chang Salmon Dream. And um, he goes and he invites – and here's the gall on this guy. He's a businessman. He invited um, 30 of his friends to come with him for this free meal because, you know, it said six people could sit with you at the table. Well, he had them pay seven U.S. Yeah. dollars each, and they came and they ate with him on shifts. But he found out that he changed his name too many times, and he can't change it back. And his lawyer told him the only loophole he has – is like this is where it becomes like a movie, is he has to convince his parents to change their name. Then they can all change their names back. But the problem is he doesn't want to tell his parents that he changed his name to Salmon Dream.
2: <laughs> yeah, or or what the other 14 times he changed his name to were because apparently there's a limit to the numbers the issue. Yeah. <laughs> absolutely crazy, man. Absolutely crazy. So here's the thing. On Wednesday, we have our 3PL Summit, my friend. Mm-hmm. And we're going to do, I think I think we're going to do eight interviews. But besides that, Leaders, everybody talking. Big deal or not a big deal?
1: Yeah, of course it's a big deal. You go to live.freightwaves.com to register. As always, you can win things. I think we're giving away some Roombas amongst other prizes. We'll be hosting it. We'll be doing a like a double album of What the Truck there with, I think, something like eight interviews. So that'll be a, a nice gauntlet match for us. But it's coming at a right time where we get to really address that 3PL Market in, in those language, in those terms, with all the things that are going on now. I know that we have a great speaker in uh, Ann Ranke from the TIA. She's the president and CEO. She's our keynote over there. And then I was just looking down at our rundown of who's going to be on What the Truck. And we have Larry Klein from Bring. We have Riley Ford from Front. We've got Prasad from Trucker Tools. We've got guests from Salesforce. We've got Brian Tushhold from Ambition. Uh, we have Sachin Ngahis from M Tech Digital. Scott Pericolio from Weather Optics and uh, Bill, Can- Bill Catatinia from OneRail. And we're getting in all, of, all different things, everything from weather analytics and logistics to um, how to properly engage remote sales teams. So it's going to be a sushi buffet of our own, Mr. Salmon Dude. <laughs> the Salmon
2: Dude. Yeah, it <laughs> certainly is. And I think it's very interesting that all the – look how much tech is in there, right? 3PL tech, unbelievable. When I started in this business, wasn't that much tech. It's unbelievable. It's going to be great.
1: We're out of time. We're out of time. Keyboard cat's playing me off. You can find this show your favorite podcast player. Look up "What the Truck." You want every Freightways podcast on one feed? Look up Freightcast. Find me on Twitter at Timothy Duner. It's D double O N R. You can find him at Vincent the Dude. Take it home. Have a great Monday. What do you say? Peace
2: and love, everyone. Peace and love.